I just want to welcome you to church this morning here in Mesa. We've had church going on our Ahwatukee campus. Maybe you're going to listen to this message via podcast this week while you're driving to work. And wherever you're at, I'm glad that you're here. We love you. We're so glad that you're part of this church family. And I believe that God brought you to this church for a purpose. Uh, I love what ha- is happening in our community right now, that people are getting plugged in right now to life groups. We just did a series of teaching about how people come to church, but they remain anonymous, and that's not what God wants for you. He wants you to get connected, amen? And so today, I feel like God is going to give us a message that is kind of a transition between this talk about community that's been happening and this next series of teaching that I feel God wants us to kind of work through. And today we're going to begin this next series called Stand Firm. And we'll be talking about the spiritual warfare that we're all going through on a daily basis. And we're going to be talking a lot about the armor of God. But today is kind of a prequel to set that up and to transition and talk about some things that God is doing in our lives. And, and I just want to preach to you this morning. Is that okay? I just need to know if I'm with a, a room of people who have faith in their hearts and are ready to hear from God and are ready to hear the word. Is it just okay if I just preach to you this morning? Well, let's read this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 14. It's one of my favorite stories And it's a long passage, so I just want to ask you to read it with me so you can follow along and understand what we're going to talk about. It says, One day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah, around the pomegranate tree at Migron. Among Saul's men were Ahijah the priest, who was wearing the ephod, the priestly vest, Ahijah was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord who had served at Shiloh. Now, I wanted to read this first part to you because as you read about these priests and these specific areas where they're at, I wanted you to get that this is an actual historical account. This was an, an actual event that took place. We're not, we're going to be reading about a parable this morning, but an actual event. It said, no one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sinna. The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Amen. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. All right then, Jonathan told him. I read that and I think, I wonder if Jonathan was hoping the armor bearer would try to talk him out of this. But he said, all righty then. We will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we'll stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. When the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. 
Come on, climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over about half an acre. This is an epic story, isn't it? I hope you're already getting excited. See, I think as I read a story about this, it just reminds me that in our lives, we face battles as well. And some of you might feel like you're in the middle of a battle today. Some of you might feel like you've been fighting hands and foot, tooth and nail against circumstances in your life. And life's always stressful for all of us. That's just how life is. But then there are other times where you feel overwhelmed by life, aren't there? Maybe you're going through a crisis today. Maybe you're going through a marriage crisis or a midlife crisis. You had to get a Harley, didn't you? Maybe you're going through a financial crisis. Maybe your kids are, are out of control. Maybe, maybe you've been struggling because God has put something on your heart that you need to do, but you don't know how you're going to do it on, on your own. Maybe you see all the racial tension that is in our culture today, and you feel hopeless about our country and what's going to happen in the future. I believe that God wants to speak faith into your heart today through this account. I think he wants to encourage you. See, I want to give you the background on this situation because some of you, I know you're not really sure what we just read. The Israelite army, they were the people of God. They, they were fighting against the Philistines who were a foreign army of pagans who did not worship the one true God. And the Philistines were bad dudes. They were oppressing the Israelites and attacking them and raiding their towns and villages. So the Israelite army led by King Saul said, enough is enough. We're going to fight back. We're going to go to war but they were significantly outnumbered at this moment. We read in previous chapters that at this point, the army of the Israelites was camped out with only 600 guys, and they were poorly equipped at that. We read that because the Philistines wouldn't allow the Israelites to have blacksmiths, people in the Israelite army didn't even have swords and the proper equipment. Only King Saul and his son Jonathan had a sword. Everyone else had poor uh, equipment, maybe sickles, maybe hammers, maybe pitchforks, maybe a board with a nail in it. I don't know, but they didn't have a lot to work with. But then the enemy, the Philistines, they were camped nearby with a huge army. And it says in 1 Samuel 13, 5, the previous chapter, that the Philistines had a mighty army of 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. And theologians estimate they probably had 50, 60,000 soldiers in all, at least 50, 60,000 soldiers or more against 600 guys with rakes and sharp sticks. And so the Israelite army was completely outnumbered at a standstill and scared. King Saul, who was supposed to be the leader, he wasn't really leading these guys, but his son Jonathan had faith. And we read in the Bible here about two brave men, Jonathan and his armor bearer. And in my Bible, it's funny because this passage has a title above the section, and you know that the, the, the titles in your Bible are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. They're just kind of put there to summarize that passage, but sometimes I laugh at the titles in my Bible. Because the title of this section is called Jonathan's Daring Plan. Yet, 
I can tell you as a former soldier who studied a little bit about tactics and strategy that Jonathan did not have a plan. So this is kind of funny to me. He was daring, but he had no plan. In fact, we see in verse 6 that Jonathan said, Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. And the word that sticks out to me the most in this passage from the very first time I ever read it is the word perhaps. And that's the title of this message, perhaps. Say perhaps. Perhaps. I love this word, perhaps. Some of you got saved because you woke up in bed one morning at one point and your life felt empty and you felt lost and alone and you said, I'm going to find a church because if I go there, perhaps I'll find something that will answer the questions that I have and fill the void in my life. Some of you have best friends today because a year ago you signed up for a life group and you felt awkward, but you thought, perhaps God will bring some friends into my life who can help encourage me and get me through what I'm going through. I love the word perhaps. This church was founded with the spirit of perhaps. See, our Awatuki campus, it was started because over 25 years ago, Paul Levino, who's my father-in-law, moved to Arizona with his kids and nothing and said, I'm going to start a church and perhaps God will help us. And then 2013, we were getting ready to launch Generation Church, and we were talking about this crazy idea to start a different kind of church where you have great kids ministry, and you have great ministry for seniors, where you have great worship, and you have Bible teaching, where you have loving people who also tell the truth. And we were thinking, we'll even let this this young idiot kid lead us, and perhaps God will do something. I love, I love the spirit of perhaps. And I wanted you to know this morning that if you try something great for God, something great might possibly happen. But if you try nothing for God, nothing is guaranteed to happen. What if you would live your life with a mindset, perhaps? And I love that he said, perhaps the Lord will help us. He didn't say, perhaps we can stay here and sleep and wait for the Lord to do it for us. There are too many Christians, I believe, who pray for God to fix their problems when I think that what God really wants is to help you work through your problems. They said, let's go. Let's go. Perhaps the Lord will help us. I love that. I love his attitude. I love Jonathan's mindset, his initiative. Let's go. Perhaps the Lord will help us. We're not going to sit here any longer. We're going to do something. See, there are too many Christians, I know you're not like this, who use prayer as an excuse to do nothing. And that's the problem, right? I I hear too many Christians talk a big talk and then do nothing. Well, let's pray. Let's pray about all this racial tension in our country. Let's pray for God to bring peace. Okay, good idea. Let's pray. And then how about you actually talk to someone who has a different ethnic background than you? Let's pray for the lost, pastor. There are so many people going to hell out there. Let's pray that they come to know Jesus. I agree with you. Let's pray. And then how about you actually talk to your coworker who doesn't know Jesus and pray that God will help you speak the truth to them and make a difference in their life. I don't want to just sit around and pray. I want to pray and then do and believe that perhaps God will help us. 
Jonathan said, let's go put ourselves in position and perhaps, perhaps God will help us. Now, military strategy says that when you attack an enemy who outnumbers you, who is in, who's in defense and already in position and ready for you, that you need to outnumber that enemy to have a chance at victory. This says, says strategy and tactics say you need to outnumber a defending army by three to one or by five to one to have a chance to win. But, but what we read is at this outpost, there were at least 20 Philistines and only two guys attacking them who were outnumbered 10 to one, basic, basic math. And they did not have a plan. They did not have strategy. They just had faith. They just had faith. And they said, we're going to go put ourselves in position. Perhaps God will do something. And I wanted to speak to you this morning because I believe that some of you might be facing something in your life today. You know what it is. It might be an obstacle. It might be a struggle. It might be a sickness, a marriage crisis, a problem in your family. You might be at a crossroads and not know how to handle what's in front of you. But God wants you to have faith in him. And maybe you're saying, but I don't know what to do, Pastor Ryan. I don't know how to handle this issue. And I wanted you to know today that God doesn't need you to know how. He wants you to know that you need him. Because he's the one that's gonna handle your problem. He's the one that's gonna work through you and help you to overcome. And, and, and I don't like this if I'm being honest. I don't like this. I'm just telling you. Because I want to have a plan. I wanna know what the strategy is. How many of you are like, when I'm going into a situation, I want to know step by step by step how to handle that situation. I don't want to do anything until I've got my checklist and I know what problems are going to come up and I already have the answers to those problems. But that's not how life works, is it? See, so many times we don't know exactly what we're going to do. We might have no clue how to handle a problem that's in front of us, but God does know exactly what to do. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, well, I need God to do a miracle. But God is saying to you, he wants you to have faith. And you might say, well, I would have more faith if God would do more miracles. But God is saying to you, I would do more miracles if you would have more faith. Because what you'll see in scripture is that faith is what moves God to move. Jesus always did miracles in response to faith. And it's not easy to have faith when you're facing an overwhelming situation, when you're facing an, out, an, an enemy that outnumbers you 10 to 1. And you might say, I don't know what to do today, but if you'll say, I know I need him, and I don't know how to make it through this, but I know God knows how to make it through this. You can get through the situation that you're in. You might say, I, I, I don't know, Pastor Ryan, I don't know. I, I just want to ask you, do you have faith do you have faith to handle the situation in front of you? Maybe you're like, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure I have this kind of faith. Okay, well, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this. I want you to have the kind of faith that you need in order to fight an enemy that outnumbers you or deal with a problem that overwhelms you. I don't want you to be someone who just gives up, who stands by. Now, we got to look at this story. we got to look at this passage, and we'll get encouragement from this. Now, in this passage, who is the hero of this story? God, yes. I was like, oh man, I better start at the beginning. Okay, Bible reading tip. God is the hero of every story in the Bible. 
It's never the dude, it's always God. God's the hero of this story, and we gotta give our boy Jonathan credit because he had faith, right? But then when you read this, you should ask yourself, how did he have so much faith? Well, okay, well, look at verse seven. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. See, I personally don't think that Jonathan would have ever attacked that enemy outpost solo. I suspect, based on, you know, what I would have done, that if he was on his own, he would have just stayed home, he would have accepted the situation and said, well, hopefully my dad comes up with a solution because I don't want any part of that problem. But what we said last week is that the Holy Spirit uses community to reproduce and multiply faith. And Jonathan wasn't alone. He was with his armor bearer, his armor bearer, the person who bared his armor. And last service thought that I said an armor bear, like an armored bear, like an animal with armor on it, but that's not what I'm talking about. As an armor bearer, this guy who would carry his armor so that he could go into battle uh, uh, unencumbered and not exhausted. So let me just give you a little background on this. See, uh, I was a soldier for a while before I was a pastor. And when I went to Iraq, every day I wore armor and equipment before I went out on missions. And, and it's heavy. You have a Kevlar vest with, with ceramic plates in it to stop rifle rounds. And then you've got hundreds of rounds of ammunition and magazines. And then you got about a gallon of water on your back. And you've got a radio. You've got a medical kit. You've got navigation equipment like GPS and compasses, you got a helmet with night vision goggles and lights and, and flashlights and different things like that. And then you add on, on top of that, you got your actual weapon that weighs a lot. And so when you add all this stuff up, you're talking 70, 80 pounds of equipment. And the first time I put all that stuff on, I was like, this is heavy. I feel very encumbered right now. I feel awkward. How am I supposed to fight in this? Right? Like, this is so, like, if I get to the fight, I'm going to be worn out just from wearing all this junk. It's exhausting. It weighs a lot. And back in this day, before they had all the technological advances that we have now, their armor weighed even more. They had breastplate made out of metal, stuff covering their shins, sh big old boots, had th stuff around here because you want to protect that area. <laughs> A metal helmet protecting your head, big old shield made out of metal and leather, and, and then a, a sword and maybe a spear too. And, and those guys, see, that stuff weighed a lot, a lot. And so they had armor bearers because if you had to carry all that stuff around with you all day before you even got to the battle, you'd be worn out before the battle even started. And so you had to have somebody to carry your armor. And, he, and, and Jonathan, he had his armor bearer. And I think that if he hadn't had this guy with him, he would have been probably too scared to even go. And then if he had gone, he would have been too exhausted to even fight. And I wanted to highlight this because I believe that we're in a spiritual battle as well and that God wants to equip you with armor. And I know this because he says this in Ephesians chapter six, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Tell your neighbor, tell your neighbor, stand firm. Okay, that was not very good. Tell your other neighbor now, stand firm. 
Okay, so God wants to equip you for the battle that is before you, and he provides spiritual armor, and you need some armor bearers to help you be prepared for the fight that's ahead of you. So I want to ask you, who are your armor bearers? Who helps you? Who encourages you? Who says, I'm with you completely, whatever you decide? I don't know about you, but I need some people like that in my life. See, I know that God has a plan for your life, and I know that God has a plan for my life, and I believe he's called me to do some things that I know I cannot do on my own. If I'm just being honest, I don't even know if I can believe on my own. So that's why I need some people who will go with me. I don't want yes men as a leader, but I want some men who will say yes. I'm with you. I'm gonna go beside you. I've got your back. And you need some people like this in your life as well. You cannot fly solo because we achieve victory in community. Community is not something that you just stumble into and find. It's something that you build in your life. You invest time. You prioritize. It takes effort. But listen to me, it's worth it. Because community makes the difference, doesn't it? How many of you know that what I'm saying is true? Community makes the difference between overwhelming defeat and overwhelming victory. Community makes the difference between I'm going to hide and we're going to go. Community makes the difference between I'm going to flee, and we're going to fight. Community is the difference between I'm going to give up, and we're going to get up. Community makes the difference, church. Alone, I am outnumbered. And, And if we get together, you and I might look outnumbered even still, but what I know is that when God is with us, you and I are always in the majority. You need some community who will go beside you. As Christians, we should just be looking at the example of Jesus. Jesus didn't build his church alone, did he? He recruited his life group. His life group, 12 guys. 12 guys who he would work with to do ministry. I want you to think about this. Jesus didn't even save us on his own. He gave his life for us, but the Father sent him, and the Holy Spirit raised him from the grave. Jesus loves community, and Jesus believes that victory is achieved in community so much that he decided to make saving our souls a group effort. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together in one to change your destiny. So unless you're better and stronger than Jesus, you need community too, don't you? You need some people who know you, who will do life with you, who say, I'm with you. Whatever you're going to go through, I'll be beside you. And I know that some of you right now are like, Pastor Ryan, I get it. I get it. You've been talking about life groups these last few weeks. But listen, listen, dude, I'm really busy right now. I, I hear you, bro. I get that you're busy. But you know what I realized um, now that I've been a pastor for a little while? I found that busy people have affairs too. I saw that busy people get divorced too. I found out that busy people develop addictions to alcohol and drugs and pornography, just like people who aren't busy. So let me just ask you a question. If you're busy and life is pulling you in all directions, do you think that the enemy is less likely or more likely to attack you during that season? I know what I think. I think he's more likely. Because you're vulnerable. And when you're stretched 
That's when a lot of times we fall to temptation. That's when a lot of times we get lost and we drift away from God and we start to doubt what God has already said. So I'll tell you what, the fuller your life is, the more that you need to schedule and prioritize having community in your life. Unless somehow you can connect with the enemy and schedule a time off that he won't attack you right now while you're busy. Because if you can do that, by all means, just take the next season and just do your own thing, bro. But otherwise, I would say you need to be connected to some people and community now, especially when you're busy, because we don't win alone. We do not win alone. We're playing a team sport here, and victory happens in community. And, and I just want you to know, because I know you're a grown man and woman, you can make your own choices, you can decide, all right? I can't make you do anything, but I'm accountable to Jesus for the well-being of your soul, and so I just want to make sure you knew where I stand. As your pastor, I want you to be in a life group. And I hope you will, and I'm asking you to be, because it will be good for you spiritually. All right. So Jonathan and his armor bearer, they head towards the enemy together. Two guys, they have faith in the power of God. And then I noticed that they waited for a sign that God was going to work on their behalf, because faith is not an excuse to rush into foolishness. They said, we need to stop and make sure that God is in this. And they said, you know, if those guys up there, they call us up, then we'll know that God's in it. If they don't, then, then we'll just say, you know, this was all crazy. But, but see, God did speak and God, God did call them up, which I think is a really good lesson for us that, that we don't want to just rush into a situation that, that God is not actually calling us to. We want to know that God is actually leading us in to the situation that we're in. Now, back in Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit would speak to God's people primarily through priests and prophets, and people would have dreams where they would hear from God. And back in this day, um, like the priest that we read about, they had a, a vest called the ephod, and this vest had stones on it called the umim and the thumen, which is really weird. And, and and God would use these stones to indicate his will sometimes. And I read that, and I think it's interesting to point out because it mentions specifically in this passage that, that that vest with all the priests were back in the camp. Jonathan and his armor bearer, they went out on their own. But that the Holy Spirit still spoke to them and still led them and still guided them in that moment. And it's encouraging to me because today, as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us who will live with us and lead us into the situation ahead of us. And we can stop and we can ask him for guidance. And I believe because he loves us, he will guide us. God wanted to encourage them in their faith and confirm his presence. And so those guys received the sign they were looking for. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's climb up, follow right behind me. And verse 13 says, so they climbed up using both hands and feet. That tells you they were climbing up a steep cliff. They weren't walking up Camelback Mountain, right? Like they were climbing up this cliff. I can't, I can't even imagine. I can't imagine having to climb up a cliff to get to the battle with the enemy who outnumbers you 10 to 1. That's crazy. Have any of you ever been rock climbing? It's exhausting, right? Not, not like the rock climbing gyms where all the hand holds are colored and you have, I'm like actual rock climbing like on a rock. I've done it. It's crazy. It's exhausting. It's hard. I went one time with a friend, his name was Steve, and he climbs all the time, and so he took me out rock climbing, and Steve was strong and lean, and I was not strong and not lean. 
And whereas Steve could reach and jump and pull, I could not. I did a lot of, of standing and I was trying to like get a grip and, and you're finding a grip and your leg is there holding you and it starts to shake because you're getting tired and, and you're looking for another place to get a handhold and you can't use your love handles. You got to find like an actual handhold and you're trying to pull yourself up and push yourself off. It's exhausting, right? Let alone having to climb up to get to a fight. Sometimes in life when you're serving the Lord, you're trying to do ministry, trying to lead a company, you're trying to raise kids. Sometimes, man, it's so easy, isn't it? Just like riding a bike downhill, just making progress, effortless. But most of the time, it's not. Most of the time, it's more like climbing a mountain where you're using all of the energy you have to just get a grip to just pull yourself up to the next level, just to make a little bit of progress, just to get a a little bit of a a promotion in your job, just to make a little bit of of headway with your kids, get them to stop being so crazy, just just to kind of get your marriage back to that place that you wanted. It's so hard. It can be exhausting. It can be scary, just like climbing a cliff. If you're like, I'm I'm on the brink of dying here, let alone alone feeling like I'm going to have success. And I think that a lot of times that that's how life is, where we're climbing like that. And, and I'll be honest, this really stuck out to me because there have been some times in my life where I've prayed to God to help me. God, God, I'm going through a battle here. I'm fighting for my life. And I feel like God has said to me at times, son, you're not even to the battle yet. You're just climbing. You're just climbing to get to the place where the battle is going to happen. And I love, I love that in this story, we see them climbing to get to the battle. And I've got some hard news for some of you. Maybe it's good news, depending on your outlook. It might be that the struggle that you're going through now isn't even the battle that God is actually preparing you for. Because what I see in this passage is that there's a climb before the fight. And I think that this can encourage us. And some of you, this will give you more perspective. I think that perhaps you might look back on some things in your life that you thought were the battles and realize they were actually just conditioning for the future battle that would come. But see, what I've realized too is that many people give up before they even get to the real battle because they say the climb is too hard. You say, I'm not smart enough to get an education. It's too risky to leave the safety of my current job. It's too hard to find a man of God to marry. I need someone now. I want friends, but man, relationships are hard work. I want wisdom, but I don't want to actually have to read the Bible. That's boring. Can't God just download wisdom to my brain while I download Netflix? See, the enemy is hoping that you'll take yourself out of the fight before the battle even begins. But I want you to understand that God might let you go through some things because he loves you so that you'll be strong enough for what's coming ahead of you. It says in Romans chapter five, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Yeah, we can give God praise for that. Yay. (laughs) Some of you sometimes are not really sure if you're allowed to like make noise in church. Maybe this is your first Sunday. I just want you to know 
You can, friends, you can. It's actually appropriate to say amen because you're actually affirming that you hear God speaking the truth to your heart. It's actually appropriate to say that's right because you might be encouraging your neighbor that what we're talking about is true and helping to build their faith. So this is one of those noisy churches. And I want you to know, climbing might be scary, but what I know is that it's also great exercise. And that if God is letting you go through something like this to climb, you can actually rejoice because he might be preparing you for greater victory. And I would hate to see any of you miss your miracle because you weren't willing to keep climbing to the place where it would happen. Are you struggling right now? Perhaps God wants to see if you're willing to persevere through the climb to get to the place where you'll see the victory. Perhaps before you're ready to be the CEO that God has made you to be, God wants to see if you're going to be willing to take the garbage out when nobody's looking. Perhaps before you're ready to minister to hundreds and thousands of people, God wants to see if you'll even take care of the 10 people that are in your life group. Perhaps before God brings the one into your life, he wants to know if you'll serve him while you're single. A lot of times God is preparing us for something bigger. And wouldn't it be a shame if you missed out on victory because you gave up before the fight even began? There's a climb before the fight. And we need to have faith when we're still going through the fire. We need to trust God when we're in the middle of trials. We got to keep climbing even when we can't see the top. Because God is wanting to build your endurance so that you'll be ready to face the enemy. Keep climbing. Keep climbing. And understand that friends don't let friends climb alone. It's not a solo activity. We were not meant to climb alone. Jonathan had his armor bearer, his partner in climb. (laughs) Guy whose name we don't even know, but without whom this victory might have never even occurred, right? I want you to know that you're not alone. You might have come to church today feeling alone, but even if you feel alone, you don't have to stay that way. You don't have to, to serve God on your own. You don't have to go through life as an individual. You can be part of a community of people who will come alongside you and support you. I don't know where God is going to work the miracle in your life, but I know that you need some people to come alongside you and help you get to that place. In Ecclesiastes 4, a verse that we've talked about in recent months a lot, it says that a single warrior standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. That verse was written by Solomon, who was the son of David. David was Jonathan's best friend. I think God used this story to inspire Solomon to write that passage, that two can stand back to back and conquer. And I just imagine these two guys, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they climb up this cliff to get to the place where the enemy is at, and they get to the top, and I just imagine them up there. (sighs) We made it. And I, I bet the enemy was there laughing at them. Look at these two idiots who climbed up this cliff to fight us who outnumber them. And then there's Jonathan and his armor bearer. Jonathan strapping on his armor like, hold on a second, because God's about to do something. And they get geared up for the fight, and the enemy's laughing, but they know that God's about to work and that God is with them. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning.
Jonathan and his armor bearer knew that because God is with us, we are the majority. And it says in verse 13 that the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all. Suddenly, panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outpost and raiding parties. And just then an earthquake struck and everyone was terrified. See, what happened was Jonathan and his armor bearer opened a can on these guys and they started slaughtering dudes left and right. And his armor bearer had his back and he was finishing them off as they went and their bodies were scattered over half an acre and then the enemy army that was camped nearby with tens of thousands of dudes they heard a slaughter going on over the hill they didn't know what was happening all they heard was two Hebrew boys praising God for the victory that was happening in their midst and the enemy army was terrified and confused and they ran away in fear God brought a victory through these two guys and it's so encouraging to me because I see in this passage that God keeps his promises. He already said that one of you will put a thousand to flight and two of you will put 10,000 to flight. And if you'll come together and if I'm with you, there is nothing that can stop you. I want to ask you today, I want to ask you, what would you do if you knew that perhaps God might move? As a Christian who knows Jesus and has the Holy Spirit within you, What is God calling you to do that maybe you've been afraid to do? But if you just knew, let's say if you knew that God would move on your your behalf, what would you do? Let me ask you this. Is there a need in your life, something that maybe you've already given up hope on? What would you pray for if you knew perhaps God might say yes? Maybe you need to have faith one more time and just pray again and have faith just in your heart. Let it come in and just well up inside you. Maybe God wants to encourage you today and maybe we can stand together as God's people right now and say in faith that I believe I've seen God do it before and that means I know he can do it again. Amen. See, why don't you right now, like we talked about earlier, if you're willing, why don't you just say, God, I've got a need in my life and I have faith. And will you just, with me, lift your hands in victory and say, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do, but I know I need you to do it. I don't know where this victory is going to happen, but I know I've got some people with me to help me get there. Why if we just start to give God praise now in a way that confuses the enemy? They'll say, what's up with those people? How are they giving God praise in the middle of those circumstances. We got to praise him right now. Come on. Lift your voices.